For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. On October 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse. Um, he lined up 10 girls who were ages 6 to 10 in the front of the class and systematically shot each one before turning the gun on himself. Five girls died and five were severely injured. Um, it was a, a tragedy, but the lasting impact coming out of this school shooting was the response of the Amish people. They forgave. They rallied around the killer's family and established a fund, a scholarship, to assist with their financial needs. And about 30 of the Amish community showed up at Charles Roberts' funeral. One of the grandfathers of the, the, one of the slain girls was quoted saying, we must not think evil of this man. An Amish father in the community summed up the views of others when he said he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. There's one author who was reflecting on, on this story of the Amish response to this shooting um, uh, a number of years ago, and he said, It's my deep conviction the world isn't a better place because Osama bin Laden was killed. It might well be a better place, though, if our Amish brothers and sisters taught us all to engage our enemies with ridiculous forgiveness and unthinkable love. We're, uh, we're diving into a story here, a, a pretty well-known parable that, that I think is really powerful in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Uh, rabbinical thought in that day and age was that uh, it, it was, you're supposed to forgive three times. So three times was the number. Peter thought he was being impressive by saying, hey, should I forgive seven times? Um, and here's Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some translations and texts say 70 times seven. Um, it's, a, it's really not about the number. It's hyperbole showing that it's an endless amount. That We don't put a number on forgiveness. And then Jesus goes on to tell uh, this parable as a response to Peter's question. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Um, we don't understand what a talent is. Um, today's equivalent would be like 20 years worth of wages, so uh, like $1.2 million. An obscene amount of money. Not only one talent, but 10,000 talents. Jesus used this unbelievably large amount of money. In fact, one scholar uh, was looking historically at it and he figured that that was more than all of Egypt had at the time of Jesus writing this. It's, it's an obscene amount. Um, and since he could not pay, yeah, no kidding, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Um, Sort of that was the way that the debts were settled in that time. You were sold into slavery or your family then had to pay or your family was sold into slavery. Um, but there's no way, that there's no way that this debt will ever be paid in their lifetimes. So the servant, knowing all this, fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, which 
was obviously never going to happen. It's just a, the desperate begging of a desperate man. And out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Um, hundred denarii, probably somewhere that a hundred days wages, let's say equivalent today, $20,000. Not an insignificant amount of money by any means, um, but compared to the amount that he had just been forgiven, there's a stark contrast. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Um, the, the request of the second servant mirrors the first request. <clears throat> He's just asking for, for mercy. He's saying, give me time to pay the debt. Um, the, the shocking piece is that the first servant, uh, the initial servant, asks for mercy, give me time to pay the debt. Obviously knowing he never will, but not only is he shown mercy and not thrown in prison, but he's shown grace in that the debt was forgiven. There's mercy in that he was given the time, and grace, which meant that the debt itself was forgiven. And here the second servant is just, he's not even asking for grace, please forgive my debt. He's just saying, give me time and I'll pay you. But this first servant refuses, doesn't have grace, mercy, pity, anything, throws him in prison. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So that my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. A challenging parable, really challenging for us. Uh, it, it echoes in some ways the, the Lord's Prayer, where forgive us our, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That there is this expectation that if we are forgiven, that we also will forgive. What we see in this parable is grace. Mercy is not receiving the punishment that we're due. Grace is receiving favor beyond anything that we are owed. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is love and action. Grace is not fair. Grace costs the giver. Grace is unearned. It doesn't need to be repaid, and it's unnatural. Uh, in our faith, grace for us means that, that we have not only... I mean, mercy is that, that we are not being thrown in hell, right? That, that's mercy for us is that our, our, we're not being paid according to our sins, and the grace is everything that we receive that, that we don't deserve, we, we were adopted as sons and daughters. Who are we to be adopted as sons and daughters of the king of the universe? There's adoption. There's redemption. We're now what we're brought back in. Our debt is paid and that is, it's, been, it's been paid on our behalf. That we've been bought out of the slavery which we brought on ourselves. We've been given mission that we are ambassadors in the kingdom of God. That we have eternity. That we now have the hope of spending eternity in, in the new heaven and the new earth, that we have freedom and we have hope. We have Jesus himself who dwells within us. We have the Spirit so that there's this constant relationship. We're never alone. And, and this grace that we experience all through Jesus, undeserved, nothing of our own doing, this grace 
results and needs to result in a transformation in our lives and our attitudes. And we see that played out. That's the tension in Scripture that, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of our works. But if we truly understand and receive the grace of God, there's an expectation that our lives will, will mirror that grace that we will we will will result in works of goodness works in our lives where we extend that same grace and that mercy and that love to others and in this parable i mean it's, it's no secret that we are the the servant we are that first servant and we are all in god's debt in our sin even if we might dismiss it or not think it's a big deal um, according to what we see in scripture sin is a huge deal to god it's rebellion it's treason and we see in Scripture that the wages of sin is death, that that's what we owe, and that none of us is able to pay to get, to get ourselves out of it, that we are condemned and hopeless in our sin, separated from the author of life, separated from eternity and the reason why we were created. But the debt must be paid, and Christ himself has paid it and that's the cross we have the grace of god that he takes the weight of our sin and and our shame and our punishment our mistakes the injustice that we have caused our sins of omission and commission all of it he puts it on his own shoulders on the cross he pays it on the cross in grace what we owe to god is far more than anything that we are owed by anyone else and there's an expectation that as we live our lives and, and people hurt us, people wound us, sometimes there's betrayals. People are selfish. It can be small things like being cut off in traffic or large things like a betrayal by someone you deeply love. We need to keep coming back to the truth of our identity and the grace that we are that first forgiven servant who's been forgiven the, the 10,000 talents that it's been paid, it's been set free, that we are released, that we deserve to be sort of locked up paying off that debt, but we're not. We are free and clear that we are adopted. And so it's appreciating first our forgiveness. It said that grace is only free because the giver himself has borne the cost. And then we need to live in that grace and allow it to transform us, to to motivate us, to drive us into forgiving others, into showing love, to showing compassion, to showing grace and showing mercy. No longer is it an eye for an eye because God didn't use retributive justice on us. He took our sin on himself, not because it was his job, but because he showed us grace. It's also said that forgiveness is important, uh, important as well. Um, because God wants us to have life. And there's this, this old quote that I, I really appreciate, which says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And so through the grace of God that, that is poured out in our lives, we now have the ability to respond to that by releasing the hold that unforgiveness has on us in the lives of others around us. First John tells us, in the, John tells us in the book of First John, that we are to love, that there's an expectation that we are to show love because 
he first loved us. And so as we look at the parable here of the unforgiving servant, we need to to stop and, and constantly remind ourselves of the grace that God has poured in our lives, the debt that has been forgiven on our behalf, the freedom and the adoption, the grace, all of it poured in our lives. And as we interact with the people around us, our neighbors, our family, our friends, those who are opposed to us, our enemies perhaps, we need to, to realize there's an expectation that Jesus is saying, listen, if you have been forgiven so much, then show love and grace to them as well. Show that, that that grace has made an impact on your life and that it's transforming you and extend it to others. Let's pray. Jesus, give us the eyes to really see what you've done for us. Help us to respond with lives that, um, that live like you. Help us to have the, the courage and the ability to forgive. Help us to let go of these grudges, to see that you don't hold a grudge over us and that we need to let go to show mercy, to show grace. And in so doing, bear testimony to the work that you've done in our lives. God, we thank you for this grace and for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, another challenging parable for us today. Hope you have a great day. See you soon.